The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, as every week, but also kind of not like every week, we're bringing you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. We had a rare, a rare misstep today. (laughs) Okay, let's be honest. Drew had a maybe not so rare misstep today. We, I had actually recorded this awesome show with four different guests about mentoring, how to get a mentor. And, um, I had to pre-record it because we can't have four guests on the phone here. And, uh, so then Drew lost it is what happened. Yeah. Lost it. Took, took, it took an hour and a half to record that thing and he lost it. Um, I later found it. But before, before I found it, I was in all full-on emergency mode. I thought, what would be a really good topic that we can maybe put together with less than 12 hours notice, let me say. Wow! And, <laughs> well, you were on the sound effects today, Mike. That's awesome. Um, so... I thought, well, you know, we actually, at last week's Cincinnati RIA meeting, we had a panel that was talking about the note market in 2023. And this weekend, Cincinnati RIA is having a, an all-day Saturday workshop on the topic. And so maybe we should talk about notes. Maybe this is going to be notes week. Maybe we're going to have 10 days worth of talking about notes, which we actually don't talk about enough because there's so much to talk about, about real estate investing. So I called up the two folks who are presenting at the workshop on Saturday and said, hey, would you mind getting on and debating about your two strategies? Because they actually, like you know, just like in real estate, different people do different things in notes and everybody's got their preference. And uh, these two do very different things. So today is going to be a... Um, debate between the two of them on who does the better thing, the easier thing, the more profitable thing, the whatever thing in the note world. So joining me by phone, I have Tanya Brown, who is a note investor from the DC area, Baltimore region, uh, who has been investing in real estate for 12 years and kind of went down that road a little way and decided that there might be something better and got into the note business. And then built this incredible personal portfolio of notes, like $1.2 million in, in notes, and also moved a whole bunch of 
uh, notes to other people during just her first couple of years in the business and also all the way from California. So, you know, the phone signal might be a little delayed, really far away. Uh, I, we have Marco Barrio who, uh, runs Porch Fink Funding and his specialty is, uh, seller held notes where Tanya's is, she likes to buy institutional notes. And they're both joining us by phone today. Welcome, Tanya and Marco. Hi, Vina. How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm good, and I really appreciate you guys being so willing to jump in today. I don't I don't usually like contact people at nine in the morning to do a five o'clock <laughs> show, but y'all were very we're very into I don't know convincing each other in the audience about. How, what the, what the best way to do notes is. So let's, let's start with what I think you guys agree on, which is that note investing without getting into, into any of the details of how one might do that is something that everybody who is kind of in that real estate related world ought to look into. Um, Let's start with Tanya. What is it you love about just note investing in general? Sure. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having us um, on today. Uh, what I love about note investing is that there are people behind every note, and that's what makes it interesting. I'm the type of person who gets bored easily. <laughs> so I can flip for so many houses. I mean, yes, there are, there are you know challenges to that also, but it wasn't my niche. I was the landlord. That wasn't my niche. You know, I wasn't, you know, the the wholesaler. That really wasn't my niche. It wasn't until I found note investing where I'm actually being the bank. I'm holding the paper that these people, for people's mortgages. And when I said, oh, my goodness, I can just sit on my couch and collect people's mortgages, I was sold. And I was like, that's just what I want to do. And so being the bank, being in control, I always say the bank never loses. And I just like that control of being able to, to handle that paper. And you also, be, you're able to go in and help people also and, you know, help people achieve the American dream, work with them and help them get back on their feet in some cases to get them to become homeowners. Excellent. So Tanya likes the sit on my couch piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she likes the she likes the not actually messing with tenants and toilets piece, just collecting exactly. collecting payments and she likes the helping people piece. Uh Marco, what about you? So I like all those things too. In fact, they were going to be some of my pros for seller financing, so nicely played, Tanya. You, <laughs> you just took some right over to your column. <laughs> Uh, I love the people part of it. Um, I'll talk more about this later. I, I get to talk to people from all over the country who, for one reason or another, they sold a property and they carried back paper. And uh, there's a story behind all that. Um, like Tanya said, there's a there, there are people involved in, in all these assets. And, and I'll add something else to it. When I was starting out as a real estate investor not that many years ago, I did the go to the local real estate uh, investor group meetings back when they were all in person. And every week, every month was a new topic. And, and Vina, I'm sure you know, know this very well. One month was flipping and one month was investing in apartment buildings. And I did that for about five months and I thought, I better pick something. And then there was a panel of note investors. And I realized that understanding the paper side of the business would ultimately make me a better investor overall. 
Um, so sometimes the stuff behind the curtain, which involves the finance and the paper, um, is is really interesting and ultimately the kind of the, the lubrication that makes deals work. And, and I really appreciate that side of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, guys, you've introduced yourselves. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going <clears> to <throat> explain explain how each of you specializes and then y'all are going to fight it out about who's got the better strategy. If y'all listen, the listeners have any questions about notes today, we've got, we've got somebody who's experienced in institutional defaulted stuff and somebody who's experienced in seller held performing stuff. So any questions that have been on your mind about notes, this would be a really good day to ask them. You can't call in, unfortunately, because uh, they're taking up both of the phone lines, but you can send an email uh, with your question to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your very grateful host, Vina Jones-Cox. My very generous guests today are Tanya Brown and Marco Berrio. And Marco, I'm just going to warn you, at some point I'm going to slip up and call you Mario because Mario Barrio it, just seems like such a fantastic right. name that in my head that's your name. You. You wouldn't. You wouldn't be the first. You know, it's fine. <laughs> I just. I. I. Yeah. Just correct me when I do it, because uh, I'm, I'm probably going to do it. Um, so you guys actually, it's just like just like in real estate, Marco. You said there. You, you went to five meetings and heard five different things you can do with real estate. Notes are the same way. There, there's people who their whole business is flipping them or brokering them. There's people who their whole business is uh, buying them just for investment and maybe using partners to get the money, or they create a fund and they buy whole big packages of notes instead of buying them one on one. It's it's endless. Let's before we get into this, let's talk about what each of you specializes in so that we could just give listeners a feel for uh, why you're coming from where you're coming from. And we'll start this time with Marco. Sure. Um, I, I, that, that meeting that I went to at that, at that local uh, real estate uh, investment club um, had a panel of five or so investors in, in notes, and each one did things a little differently. There were hard money lenders. There were people who sold with seller financing. But there was one gentleman in particular who bought non-performing junior liens, second. So this is these were institutional loans that went bad mostly during around the 2008 period. And there were a lot of them out there at a certain time for like pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the greed gland sort of went nuts in me, and I saw the dollar signs. And that's actually what I started doing. Um, so I have a little experience with the, the non-performing institutional. But what I do now, I get a little tired of that. And we'll talk about that later, I guess. But what, what I do now is I market to mom and pops all over the country who, in most cases, have sold exactly one home and carried back exactly one note in their whole life. They're mm-hmm. not professionals at all. These are regular folk, you know, Main Street all the way through. There's no Wall Street involved. Mm-hmm. And they now, when they close their transaction, they no longer own property, but they own paper, which is just a different type of asset that can be bought or sold, and that's what I buy. So some of those, you mentioned, could broker, could buy and hold, could flip. I do a lot of those things, and a lot of the terms are the same as people who are on the property side of the fence. I wholesale, I flip notes, I buy and hold notes, I buy and sell partials. That doesn't happen as often with property. Um, 
but I focus on acquiring or or trading or doing transactions around seller financed real estate notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, listeners, you got that right. He's buying notes from folks, some of whom might be like you, if you've ever sold a house like Repair for Equity and carried back a note, you might hear from Marco about, hey, would you like to turn that into cash? Uh, so that is his side of the business. And Tanya, what is your specialty? So my specialty is the institutional notes. And I went that direction because that's initially how I learned. So my first introduction to note investing were institutional side. And so that's working with banks hedge funds, credit unions, private equity funds, to receive what we call tapes of assets. And so you're receiving essentially Excel spreadsheets full of assets that are available. A lot of them are on the non-performing side, meaning that the borrower has defaulted. Some of them are on the performing side, meaning that the borrower is a good borrower that they've been paying. But it's networking and, and building relationships with these, these institutions to receive their assets. So I don't deal with the mom and pops or the, or the one, one-on-ones, but I will deal with the larger banks and institutions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in the, in the spirit of ladies first, we're going to let you start out, Tanya, uh, with the, your argument about why the thing that you do, which is institutional notes, is the better mm-hmm. way to go. Okay, can I go through all of them, or just go one or two, and then we hit back to? Well, let's 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 have you let's have you say a few okay. of them, and then we can we can throw over to Marco to defend himself, and then he okay. can go through, through a few of them, and you can respond to him. Okay. Well, I think in both instances, whether it's seller finance or institutional, there's still a networking aspect. So you have to, you know, go out and build these relationships or get the inventory. In my case, I'm I'm going out to a handful of people. So I can cast my net to four or five private equity funds or hedge funds or even banks, and I get a big catch back. So I get around 200, 300 assets. Instead of just sending out feelers for, you know, one or two, or I've got to send out 100 mailers, or I've got to make all of these phone calls, I just send out to four or five of this of these institutional buyers, and I'm getting two, 300 assets. So I get volume of inventory. And in that inventory, I also get a nice variety of inventory because I get commercial. I can get warehouses and hotels. I get residential, single-family homes, multifamily. For second, so first position notes or second position liens. So you get a wide variety within that two to three hundred assets that you may receive, and that could just be from one institution as opposed to you know having to spend months to build up that amount of inventory. Mm-hmm. Having to reach out to hundreds of people who each have one note, you can reach out to one organization that has two hundred notes. Exactly. I don't know, Marco. She may have you there. Hmm. So Wall Street firms, hedge funds, they sound kind of sharky to me. (laughs) These are are professional killers. I deal with these nicest people from all over the country, and ultimately I get to ask them. And and how I find them, that takes work, of course. That's probably 60% of my job is marketing. I'll be honest about that. But when the phone rings, I get to have nice conversations with nice people 
from all over the country. And ultimately, I got to ask them, why would you sell a nice note like this? Sometimes the notes aren't that nice, but I ask anyway. Those of those of taken Pete Fortunato's training know that question, but, yes. but on the house I, side, I, I, I was, I was smiling because you said it right. Uh, uh, of course, yeah, of course, <laughs> it, it works on the note side too, and it gets people to open up, and immediately they go into their story. I'm amazed how people open up to me who I've only been on the phone with for maybe ten minutes at that point, mm-hmm. and sometimes I talk to you know nice people from all over the country and we'll be on the phone 45, 50 minutes and we'll talk about their note for 10 or 12 minutes of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that part of my job mm-hmm. more than anything else. I get to make money. That part's pretty good too. Um, but that's why I like doing what I do. Yeah. So, so back to you, Tanya, you, you are, you, you mentioned that you deal with tapes and I know you're going to talk, mm-hmm. you're not just going to talk about that on Saturday. I think you're actually going to like show people what a tape looks like. Cause it, yeah. like, the first time I heard that term, I was very confused. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was, I was, I was picturing those old uh, stock market tickers where the tapes yeah. came out and I'm like, that can't be what they're talking about. But basically it's a spreadsheet of, of notes, but in your uh, in dealing with these notes that at some point were with a bank they might be with a hedge fund now but at, okay. they were they were originally bank uh uh notes can you get the kind of personal touch and information that marco can get from his note holders cuz I, I think Marco's note holders, a lot of times they, they're still in touch with their borrower. They know exactly what's going on with them. They will tell the story about, you know, well, he got behind three months ago, but then he caught up, but then his wife got pregnant and he's a little behind now. Like he, he probably gets a lot of information. Do, do you get, yeah. can you get anything like that amount of information from these? You do not, but that's also what I like about doing the institutional side is that you don't have to hear those stories. So I'm not dealing directly with the mom and pop. I'm dealing bank to bank, business to business. The bank doesn't really care. They don't have the story. And I don't necessarily want to know the story because once I know the story, you're pulling on my heartstrings. I'm feeling bad for you. There's this whole, you know, crying thing about it. And, and you know, and I'm, I don't want that in the negotiation phase of me trying to get your money. So I like the business to business, the bank to bank because, they don't know. You're just a number to the bank. And when you come to me, you're a number also. I eventually do get the story, but I've also gotten a good price on your note. So I'm, with, I'm open to hearing this story and working with you. But ultimately, I don't want that in the beginning stage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, Tanya, talk about, talk about the, the negotiation process. I mean, Marco said the negotiation process is basically I talk to the people, I find out what their problem is. You know, it's, it's more right. like, it's more like, like, uh, like, of course I equate everything to real estate in my head. So it's more like talking to an off market seller versus in your case, it's kind of like just making an offer on an MLS property where, yeah, you can view the property, but you don't get to find out what the seller's problem is. So what does the process look like on your side? Sure. And so mainly you're looking at, you're doing your underwriting and your due diligence. And yes, you don't always have to know because I'm buying in first position. So I'm already in control. I'm looking more at the property. So I'm really not too concerned about the borrower. So if I'm in first position, the borrower, it's okay, but I'm looking at the property. So is the property worth more than what I'm going to buy it for? And then I'm asking the bank, you know, what are you selling it for? Sometimes they'll give you pricing guidance. Sometimes they don't. 
Other times, you know, you're just putting in a, an offer, and you're saying, will you accept this offer? They'll counter the offer if they want to counter, and sometimes they accept that offer. But ultimately, am I buying it for what more than what the property is worth? And that's my whole underwriting. And then I also do some other things, like I look at the population count in that area. I also look at our businesses there, our big banks in that area, because if banks are there, money is flowing there. But ultimately, I'm not too concerned about the borrower. I'm more concerned about that property because if I have to take it back, then I have a property that may be, you know, worth $120,000, $150,000 that I've paid maybe $80,000 for. Mm-hmm. Paid $80,000 for the loan. Exactly. Which, which uh, I think in your case is often in default, which Correct. could yeah. mean it could mean you end up with that property for. Exactly. For the amount that exactly. you've paid for the loan and, and plus maybe some, some legal costs. But it, it sounds almost like all you do is, like, you, re, you, you do your due diligence and then you just sort of tell, probably via email or something, <laughs> tell the bank or the hedge fund, here's my offer. Correct. Huh. That's okay. it. Well, the introvert in me likes that a lot. <laughs> I like being able to sit at my computer and go, let me let me do some research on this house. Okay, here's what I want to pay for this mortgage. And then they can email me back and tell me yes or no. Ooh, I, I really like that. Um, exactly. So when we, when we come back, we're going to have Tanya Brown and Marco Barrio talk about the uh, other things that are different about their two businesses, including what kind of paperwork they end up dealing with, whether there's more inventory in one side or the other, and about current market conditions, making one or the other maybe a better bet if you were just getting started. You can ask your questions. All you got to do is email them. Unfortunately, that's our only choice today. We can't, we don't have a phone line open, but you can email them to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Got two guests today, Tanya Brown from Pier Harbor Group and Marco Berrio from Porch Swing Funding. And they're talking the pros and, well, each one of them's talking the pros <laughs> of their sides of the business. Uh, Tanya's being institutional notes, a lot of them defaulted. Mar- Mario, see, I did it. Marco's being. Uh, seller held notes, mostly performing notes. So, um, you know, before we go any further, I'm going to throw a jargon flag on myself. I'm not sure a listener who's tuning in for the first or even 10th time knows what I mean when I say non-performing note. Who wants to tackle that one? Tanya. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> A non-performing note would be a note where the borrower has defaulted. So something may have happened or they just are not great borrowers. They may have lost their job. Whatever the scenario, they have stopped paying their mortgage, and so their their loan has now gone into default. Usually the bank will see it as 30, 60, 90 days late, and then they will start the foreclosure process. Mm-hmm. But that is what a non-performing note is. It's where the borrower has defaulted. I've seen some non-performing notes for sale that were a lot more than 90 days overdue. <laughs> like, I've like, seen 13 years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so then that's called, that's called the, the, the industry term for that, I believe, is deeply defaulted. 
<laughs> when it gets <laughs> when it gets to the point where uh, there, there, there's just there's no way that the borrower is going to just show up and say, "Oh, hey, I owe you one hundred and ten thousand dollars in back payments. Here you go." So, what is the what 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 is the possible value of buying a note that you know you already know you're not going to get payments on? The value there is just going after the property because you know you're going to have to uh, go in and foreclose, depending on you know whether or not they're still there. In some cases, they vacated the property, so you might just have a vacant house, and then you just need to have someone to at least go in there and see what's what's the you know what does the house look like. Mm-hmm. But the value is that you can still make money off of it because the property may be in great condition. You may be able to get it a lot cheaper than you would. Um, just a non-performing note that is 90 days late mm-hmm. because the longer it's defaulted, the more they're trying to, the more anxious they're, they're, the seller wants to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So you can get it for maybe 40 cents. And then, you know, you might have a house that's worth $80,000 as is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know there's also a whole, I, I don't think anybody, unless the property is in fact vacant, which you know, you can tell without even having to drive by it by doing things like calling the utility company and saying, is the water on? Is the gas on? Is the, um, but I know there's a, a most people, uh, most note buyers who buy defaulted notes, they, they make the offer as if they were going to end up with the property. Like what, what, what is the most I would want to pay for the property? And that's what I'll pay for the note. But the the first step of the property is occupied is actually try to get that note reperforming by saying, no, 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 you don't have to pay me the $110,000 in back payments all at once. Let's set up a payment plan that lets you keep your house. And that's absolutely correct. And that's my first motive when I try to go in. The first thing I want to do is get it to reperform. If I can't get it to reperform, then we aim to do a, a deed and lieu, turn it over. The last thing I want to do is foreclose because nobody wants to go into foreclosure because that costs money. Mm-hmm. I would much rather try to keep people in the actual property. So, yes, that is the first the first goal is to try to keep them in, is modify the payment if we can, get them caught up, or even just wipe out, if you can, the entire thing and start all over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so next next item where your two businesses are very different is the part of the quality of the note and mortgage that you are buying rests in was the paperwork done right. Yeah. So <laughs> let's let's talk about seller financing. Mm-hmm. I was looking at this today. Some of the so in in when when a real estate loan or a carryback happens, there's a thing called a promissory note, which is kind of like an IOU. I promise to pay this much money with this interest, and this would be the monthly payments. And there's a mortgage or a deed of trust, depending on the state where the, where the transaction takes place. I see promissory notes that are half a page or three or four pages. The half a page note, does it include all the necessary information? Sure. Is it is is it as legally sound as a as a institutionally originated, vetted by a team of thirty lawyers? No, no way, no way. Mm-hmm. So, my world is getting comfortable with, um, in a way, the bin of misfit notes. They're all a little bit weird. 
the stories behind them are a little bit different. That's why they seller financed it didn't go get, you know, when you could, 3.5% at some big institutional lender. But the hope is that it's going to continue to perform and we're not going to end up in front of a judge. Mm-hmm. And in some places, the half a page promissory note really isn't going to be an issue, I don't think. I haven't tested this in great deal because I'm mostly buying loans that I think are going to continue to perform, and 99% of the time I'm correct. But the paper is a little different, let's say, in the seller-financed world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of do it yourself sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> I saw one yesterday. It said, the payment shall be... And written in numbers, $400 a month, but in parentheses, they wrote out $500 a month. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> well, which is it? Yep. That was signed and had been in, in, in effect for two years already at that point. Yep. I bought, a, I bought a seller held note once where in one place in the note, it said that the uh, buyer would be paying taxes and insurance. And in a different place, it said that the seller would be paying the taxes and insurance. And it, it, right. it, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, no, the buyer's going to pay it to the seller. It said buyer's going to pay it separately. And then it said seller's going to pay it. <laughs> so, so, you, so you looked at the precedent. Well, what has actually been occurring? Mm-hmm. And then you could, you know, I would, I would defend that. And if I had to stand in front of a judge as well, look, judge, the parties obviously interpreted choice B because that's what they've been doing for the last two years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tanya, I think you have it. I think you have him here. I agree. Yes, because paper is pretty clean. <laughs> it's not. It's definitely not handwritten on the back of the napkin with you know the wrong number. This it's it's definitely done by you know your team of lawyers and title companies. But I will say that I've had to clean up some titles in some of my work. Um, it's not the numbers or anything. It's just a signature was missing. And so when I went to sell the property, it was oh you needed this signature. In in one case, there was an incident where it was just the wrong company name, and it was just a mistake of whoever recorded it. They mm-hmm. put the wrong name of the company on on the um, I think it was the uh, the assignment, and mm-hmm. I had to get it corrected. And so it was just little things like that. But it's definitely not not that it's not basic as mom and pop. So Tanya, are you saying you don't have a lender's title insurance policy to protect you? I do not always have the lender's title policy to protect. That right, is correct. Because I, I do. I do. I do. Yeah. I have title insurance. Mm. Is that your one-up? Okay, kids. Okay. <laughs> calm calm yeah. down. You guys got to teach yeah. a class together on Saturday. <laughs> be, be cool. <laughs> All right, one last thing, and then we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come to some listener questions that have been coming in at askvina at gmail.com. The talk, of, the talk of the whole real estate world is the market. It's interest rates rising. Uh, the bank's finally gotten around to foreclosing on some folks who took advantage of the foreclosure moratorium, but then were never able to catch up. Uh, we've seen an increase in... Uh, filings and now we're actually seeing some increases in things like the FHA default rate, like the six month default rate. Like I just got my loan six month ago, six months ago, and I'm already behind in my payments. What do you think that's going to do to both of your businesses' pros and cons? And we'll start with Tanya. I think uh, there has been this talk of defaulted loans coming down. Uh, and we haven't seen it yet. So I think that there will be nothing at all like 2008, 
but I think there are going to be some things starting to come down. What I've started to see is some a lot of performing notes coming into the market at that 3% rate that was happening a year ago mm. from now. And I know the banks are starting to, start to dump those a bit just for, to become liquid in order to make more loans at this 75 or 7% 30-year fixed rate. So I do think there will be more coming down. It just takes time to come down to my level, which is, you know, through the hedge funds down to this, this individual company. And that takes time. It might be another two, three years. I don't think it's going to be a huge wave, mm-hmm. but I do believe we're, we're expecting more. Right mm-hmm. now I'm not seeing it, and the stuff that I am seeing is being run up quite high. They're asking premiums for defaulted loans or non-performing loans. Whereas a year ago, you weren't even seeing those. You were still able to buy them at 50 cents or 60 cents on the dollar. And now they're asking 80, 90 cents, which is a premium Mm. to buy a non-performing note. So it sounds like your business might be getting harder right now. Yes, Yes, I concede to that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And and, uh, Marco, what about you? Yeah, everything's in, in cycles. Right now, with interest rates higher, um, more sellers are enticed to become reluctant seller financers. And by that, I mean they're tired of seeing buyers fall out of escrow because they can't get approved for institutional financing. Because now the interest rates are higher and their debt-to-income ratios are higher as a result, and they're not qualifying because their payment would be so much higher than it would have been nine months ago. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting calls from sellers who haven't sold yet saying, you know, if I carry back a note, what would you pay me for it? Um, and I didn't used to get that, that, that every now and then I would get those calls. I'm getting a much higher volume today. I'm also getting those calls from realtors, which I find really interesting that realtors are finding the need to get educated about this because they're tired of Mm -hmm. seeing transactions fall out of escrow Mm -hmm. and, and they want to learn about it. So I've got two or three realtors I didn't have relationships with two weeks ago, um, who I'm starting to have ongoing conversations with. Okay. Um, so that's showing me that we're going to see more seller-financed inventory. Hmm. Interesting stuff. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to answer the questions that are already in the inbox and also your questions. If you'd like to go ahead and send them to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. And, and let, me, uh, let me just take a second here and say... Uh, you folks who are interested in the note buying business and you've kind of heard about it and you're not sure exactly how it works. Some of these, some of these questions I'm getting tells me that folks don't know exactly how, how you do things like figure out what you want to offer for a note or, or even do that due diligence to make sure that, uh, it's a note you want or the property you want. If it turns out that you have to take it back, um, this is a business that, I think both of these folks do even outside of their local areas. So, of course, you know, you, if you're buying, if you live in Cincinnati, you're buying a note in Alabama. There's there's some research you need to know how to do. Um, Marco and Tanya are actually really good friends, and they're teaching a class together on Saturday that's going to be divided between the institutional side and how do you find and do the due diligence on and evaluate and make offers on those deals. And then the same thing with the seller finance side, Cincinnati RIA is sponsoring that it's very inexpensive. I got to tell you guys, I, I have literally paid 
a hundred times as much <laughs> as this costs to take note classes <laughs> in the past. Um, and it was worth it. I mean, I made a lot of money from, from the few notes that I just stumbled across because I don't actively go out and look for them like you guys do. But uh, CincinnatiRia.com, listeners, it's online, so you can you can attend from wherever you are. CincinnatiRia.com, just click on, it's right on the front page, just click on the calendar link, and it'll give you the details about the agenda, the bonuses, uh, the very low cost, all of that sort of thing. CincinnatiRia.com. So let's go to some listener questions um, question from Steve in Dayton. He says, how do you determine a discount for your offers? Is there some standard formula? Uh, I, let me, I'll, I'll, t- I'll start with that one. I, I receive a lot of inquiries from sellers who hold notes and they say, how much, how much, how much is the discount going to be? And I explain it to them, well, and before I've heard anything about the note. And I say, what I do is kind of like buying used cars. If you called and said, I have a Toyota for sale, I'd want to know a little bit about it. What kind of Toyota? What year is it? How many miles are on it? What condition is it in? So it depends. It depends. Ultimately, I look at the risk involved, and I think I'd be comfortable if I earned a X percent yield to take on that risk, and then I discount it accordingly. That's, that's more or less the formula I use, but it's different for each asset. Mm-hmm. I would have to agree um, 100%. I do kind of have an idea in my head that if I am going for a non-performing, it's going to be under that $0.60 cents on the dollar range, but then so you can't always use that as a hard and fast because if the asset is worth half a million dollars and the loan on that note, is brought down to maybe a hundred thousand. No one's going to sell that note for fifty cents or sixty cents on the dollar when you've got the value of the property being so high. So sometimes you have to make a, a little bit of a an educated uh, assumption or guess of the, what it is, and then put that offer in. Mm-hmm. It just it just depends on the asset sometimes. Mm-hmm. So Tanya, you do kind of look at it more like a real estate investor would, because I, I think I think Steve's coming from a real estate investor background. We've got formulas, right? I don't want to pay more for a house than seventy cents on the dollar less repair costs. We've got formulas, and performing notes are not bought on any kind of formula other than what is the return I want and. Given the payments that are coming in, what, how much of a price will that support? But on the default side, it is more of a, I'm probably going to end up foreclosing on this property. And uh, right. if I get it, if I'm the winning bidder, what at what price do I want to be getting the property? And if I'm not the winning bidder, that means that, you know, I, I, I bought a note with a $100,000 balance for seventy. It sells for one twenty. I get a hundred at the foreclosure hey, sale. Hey, I'm happy. Like I, I made thirty thousand at the sale. You know, I want to I want to add something really important. That the, 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 something in in common for Tony and I. The ultimate payor of any asset backed security or, or asset asset uh, collateralized security is is the property is the is the collateral. So, I I, I do start from a place of I'm not comfortable. Being higher than say uh, seventy cents against the value, my, mm-hmm. my investment to value, seventy cents say of the seventy percent investment to value, because I know at the end of the day, 
the, the, the payor might have a 800 credit score and a great job, but life happens to people and they can lose jobs and people get sick or, you know, uh, there can be a fire without insurance. Weird things happen. So I, I do kind of have some doomsday scenarios that I look at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. A uh, question from JC in Las Vegas. Can you please ask each of them what their best source of funding is to buy their notes and why, I guess, is, is the rest of the question. So um, just to give listeners some background in that, because it sounds weird to, to borrow money to buy a debt or to or to somehow otherwise get money to buy a debt but that's how that's how the hedge funds who buy hundreds of mortgages at a time work they're not they're not reaching into their owners pockets they're raising money to do that so i assume you guys also have a way of getting money to buy that next mortgage what's your favorite i i reach out to investors i have joint venture partnerships and just networking and getting to know people and telling them what it is I do. And that brings people on who want to invest, especially when you start showing people the returns that you can get in uh, note investing. And it can be passive for them, whereas you can work out the notes and just send them a check each and every month. Mm -hmm. And they're happy about it. And they're looking for, they'll tell you their criteria. I'm looking for 10 or 12% return. If you can do that and, you know, split it, and you're making a profit off of it with no money in the deal, and your investor is happy, then that's my my favorite method until I can move up and, and eventually do a fund. But right now, it's just individual investors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you say you're doing a joint venture with an individual yeah. investor, does that, that mean that through some mechanism that the two of you actually own the note together? Correct, yes. Ah, okay. So like, like if I needed money to buy a house and you brought me the money and we both owned the house together and I might be the one managing it and dealing with the rehab and the tenants and you might be the one who just sits there and collects checks. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Marco, what's yours? Um, I like to buy notes with my own funds and then sell off pieces of those notes to recapitalize. It's it's called a partial. In the note world, you can buy a, you can buy the whole pie, or you can buy a, a pie by the slice, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with a note. Like if it's got a hundred thousand dollar balance, I can buy or sell fifty thousand dollars or eighty thousand dollars of that balance. So in my world, I'll buy at a, it's it's some financial calculator uh, trickery, but I buy at say a fourteen percent yield and then sell uh, payments off to another investor at say an eight percent yield, and in doing so, I receive most of my capital back. And that investor who might be a little less experienced also knows that they have, and they'll collect payments for a while until they've received the balance they purchased. Mm-hmm. But they know that our interests are aligned, so they've got a more experienced investor in most cases behind them to step in if things get a little weird, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which I again, haven't had to do, but I can do that. Mm-hmm. So just a this this maybe isn't such a so much a question as a comment from Robert in Tampa. I I think I think you guys have overwhelmed him. He says, in order to evaluate all these notes and collateral, Ms. Brown would have to understand the value of numerous different types of collateral, commercial, industrial, land, multifamily, single family. 
how did she get comfortable with understanding that variety of capital? And both of them would have to understand lending laws and foreclosure laws in every state where they buy a note. This seems really hard. What do you guys have to say to that? <laughs> so my focus is on residential. Even though I will get some commercial uh, assets, I don't really um, – I move them. I find buyers for them. I don't really get into the nitty-gritty of the commercial. My focus in, is on residential. Mm-hmm. When it comes to knowing the, the – I guess the nuances of state by state, that just comes with as you, as you get the notes. Um, I really, I, you, you work with lawyers, you work with servicers. Servicers are, are, are businesses that actually service the loans there. They are more familiar. They're licensed to collect debt. They are so familiar with the laws, the regulations, and everything. So you depend solely on them, not solely, but you depend on them to know and how to operate those loans in, in those uh, specific states so that you don't have to know it all. And, of course, you have your network and your resources um, all around the country that can help you out if you get into a bond. Right. You got your people. Um, so we are out of time, but, Robert, I would suggest you go to CincinnatiRIA.com, click on that Saturday workshop that these two guys are teaching, and maybe spend a day and, and see that it's, yeah, it's it's different than real estate, but there's really no not, not a lot more to learn than there is to learn to do any real estate strategy. Uh, thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Marco. Look forward to seeing you uh, on Saturday. I'm going to be attending your class, and we will be back more uh, next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.